0: Thank you so much for joining us today. We are going to discuss uh, many philosophical questions. uh, And I'd like to start with the following. You are a renowned physicist, an expert in space exploration, and at the same time an expert on problems that we now have on Earth and an activist in uh, those spheres. My first question is uh, a rather fundamental one. What do you think is more important solving problems on Earth or colonizing other planets?
1: Well, first of all, I don't think it's necessarily in the long run an either-or question. I think, that, I think uh, working to put people in space is not going to um, make it impossible to deal with the problems on Earth. However, I do think that, um, that there's been a lot of hype, a lot of discussion about human exploration of space, think it's a long way off before we colonize any other parts of space in any real way Uh, space exploration is incredibly expensive incredibly dangerous and uh i think a lot of the discussion about about going beyond government sending a few astronauts into space is, is is really unrealistic so i think we really have to it's in the near term as far as humanity is concerned it's much more important to focus on on uh on dealing with the problems here on earth at the same time allowing governments to do uh, exploration and uh, and research and development and slowly develop uh, the tools to go to the moon and Mars but that's going to be decades And, and, and I think in the near term uh, all of this discussion about sending many people to Mars is really science fiction and not science.
0: So, uh, what's your forecast? You, you said uh, decades. You think in several decades we will be able to colonize Mars or Venus?
1: I'm agnostic about it. I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's going to be much harder than people say, much more expensive than people say. I think in the long term, and I mean really long term, centuries, we can imagine uh having having um, um colonies on on other planets and or the moon or, or mars uh, i don't see that as a panacea i don't see that as as a uh, a way to resolve the problems we have here on earth i see it as an important stepping stone for humanity in the long term to hedge its bets because it's good to you know if something disastrous happens to the earth if an asteroid hits the earth or something like that it's nice to have a colony somewhere else but I think in terms of being a solution for any major problems here on Earth, a small colony on another planet is not going to make much difference.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the Earth then. Uh, You recently wrote a book called uh, Physics of Climate Change, and that's uh, probably one of the most important problems here on Earth. Um, Are you optimistic about this issue? Will we be able to solve it in time? to save the planet
1: well uh, again I I wanna step back I think climate change is happening it's already started to happen and it's already we've already impacted on the climate and that and there's not much we can do to change uh, what we've already done uh, in the near term but we shouldn't act as if suddenly uh, uh, climate change is going to destroy all life or destroy the planet it's a slow and evolving process it will cause problems and it's causing problems now whether we can address it as a global society it depends on the day. Some days I'm optimistic. Some days I'm not so optimistic. the 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 real issue is is not a technological problem. It's a political problem and a sociological problem. Uh, we we have the ability technologically to reduce the carbon output of uh, of much of the planet, but whether we as a whether we can begin to act globally uh, as a civilization is the real question. We've already seen with the pandemic how difficult it is to coordinate the responses of of many countries, and we we have to begin to think globally as a, as human beings uh, uh, on, on a single planet, beyond our countries, beyond our national borders, and we're not used to that as a, as a, as society as a species. I think it, it's it's really going to require a change of uh, of thinking, but. But'm I'm, I'm not I, I'm not a doomsday. I, I don't think I think we will address many of the problems of climate change uh, um, without necessarily solving the, the, the underlying problem of carbon. We'll need to address uh, learn how to deal with raising temperatures with rising sea levels, which are already in some sense in stone. We've already put in the last 25 years, we put as much heat into the oceans due to the additional carbon in the atmosphere as I think about 3.4 billion Hiroshima level atomic bombs. We've already, no matter what we do, ocean levels are going to rise about a quarter to a half a meter over this century. And that's going to affect people around the world. And we'll have to deal with that problem. It's not going to, it's not global apocalypse in the sense of destroying all of human civilization. It's going to produce hardships, but we can, we know it's going to happen. In, in in a sense and if we're intelligent we can begin to mediate those those issues mediate those problems uh, i think i said in the book that the future is charging at us like a freight train but it's doing so on tracks that we have built so we can in principle if we're if we're intelligent enough and willing to deal with these issues begin to move the tracks over so the crane doesn't crash into us i think uh there's many there's many things we can do so i'm not i'm not pessimistic about the future i think it's going to be a challenge and we need to deal with it and i think unfortunately there are going to be a number of problems and i wish we as a global society had begun to address these issues earlier it would have been easier but i'm hoping one of the reasons i wrote that book is that governments don't tend to lead they tend to follow and if the public becomes sufficiently informed about the about the challenges and the risks of the future then i think any government will begin to respond that's the government government's work if the public is sufficiently uh, concerned ultimately any government no matter whether what type of government you have will respond because uh uh they need to in order to keep the uh, support of the public
0: but as you just said to move the tracks of uh, that train uh, countries of the whole world would need to unite, uh, isn't that uh, a utopian idea, given that uh, countries have their own political interests? And oh. uh, uh, you might uh, uh, say that uh, currently it's also in the interests of any country citizens of any country in the world to stop uh, global warming, to curb emissions, but for example uh, some countries uh, do not uh, join international treaties in that area and do not do anything special for that? You're right,
1: it's a challenge and no country is gonna solve this problem on on its own in in easy way, I think. Unfortunately, I think what is likely to happen is it, it's got to get to the point things, the, the 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 negative features of climate change are sufficiently dramatic that each country realizes it's in each of the, the countries that has the resources to do something about it. And by that, I mean the developed world right now. Those countries realize that they have no choice but to deal with it. Unfortunately, the way climate change is, is working is that while the developed world world is largely responsible for the problem the less developed world is going to be have to is going to be deal with the consequences over the equatorial regions it's likely that higher temperatures will exist for longer and more stable periods and be much more difficult the the impacts there will be much more severe and those countries tend to be poorer countries and less able to deal with it I think once again it's hard to imagine the developed world acting in an altruistic generous way towards the third world until they realize that that millions or hundreds of millions of climate refugees present a problem and then will realize it's in their own self-interest to deal with it there is one possible route where a single country could have an impact globally i'm beginning to think more it's more and more likely and that is potentially the possibility for what's called geoengineering where you send aerosols into the atmosphere as a way to reduce this, the, the, the energy coming in from the sun, reflect more of it into space. Now, that's the kind of thing that one nation could be involved with, which is a little scary in some sense, because that means it won't be a global decision to do that. Uh, on the other hand, um, it could be done. And the good news is, the things that makes it a little less scary for me, is that while carbon exists in the atmosphere for almost a thousand years, the carbon that we've put up there, as a civilization literally the, probably about already about 500 billion tons of carbon over the entire era since the industrial revolution much of that will remain in the atmosphere for a millennium for a thousand years and we will have to deal with that but aerosols that we put in the atmosphere to try and reduce uh, the, the solar uh, energy coming in those exist in the atmosphere only for about a year or two so if it's put into the atmosphere and causes problems, as it could easily do, at least those problems won't be long-lived. But that's one possibility that may, um, that may present itself, and I suspect some countries may be desperate enough to consider doing that ultimately. And that's an example of where one country could globally affect the situation. Otherwise, I think necessity is the mother of invention, and I hope we don't get to the point where things are desperate enough uh, and and the effects of climate change are severe enough. The countries have no choice but to do this because of mass climate migration, refugees, uh, lots of things that could happen. But we'll see. Uh, it's one of those things we'll have to see about. It's it's a it's a long-term problem. It's it's a it's a problem that's not going to happen. This you know we're not going to suddenly the world's not suddenly going to end this decade or next decade. It's kind of like a frog in boiling water, as they say. When you heat the water up, it gets the frog doesn't notice it a little bit more or you heat it up a little bit more and the question is at what point will humanity globally recognize that the water is beginning to boil not literally but metaphorically
0: yeah let's hope that uh, this happens uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, As for geoengineering, that is a fascinating concept. Uh, Do we already have the necessary technologies to do what you mentioned about aerosols?
1: Yeah, uh, probably we do and people are looking into it and that research is going on in a number of countries and I used to be a big opponent of geoengineering maybe five or ten years ago because I thought that we there there are better way better ways to try and address it by producing less carbon and even considering carbon capture in the atmosphere um that's another solution that people are looking at it's a very difficult problem to solve to remove the carbon that we've already put in the atmosphere but um but again some research is necessary for that but uh the the dumping aerosols in the atmosphere is not is, is certainly not beyond the technological power of the of the world right now and, or any country and i and I, th- I suspect likely to be one of the things that is done if 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 the impacts of climate change become more severe some countries will be driven to consider that and as i say i'm not as worried as i used to be because of the fact that i now recognize that if there are unintended consequences of that um that at least they won't last decades or centuries um but it's not an alternative to dealing with the problem of, cl- of carbon production. And and once again, I say we have the technologies to reduce that too, uh, in many ways. And so it's just it's a matter of political will more than technological
0: will. What are other problems that you deem the most important right now on Earth that we should fight as soon as possible? Maybe some existential risks for the human. Well.
1: There's one existential risk that's been facing humanity on a much more severe level in, in a way for 70 years, and that's the nuclear weapons. Um, your country and, and the United States have, uh, have between them about 10,000 nuclear weapons, uh, which is ridiculous, it's absurd, it's unnecessary for any rational purpose. And uh, unlike climate change, a uh, a nuclear war of, of any magnitude could dramatically and quickly affect all of civilization and in principle of course even 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 end civilization it's the most severe um uh, uh, existential risk i think that humanity faces and and there's no there's no rational reason for for the number of nuclear weapons we have each each of those your country and the united states have about a thousand nuclear weapons on on trigger alert right now back from the cold war uh where again there's no reason for that where where a a a mistake uh, a mistaken sensor could begin to trigger a nuclear war these we're very lucky that there has not been a nuclear accident in the in the 75 years or so since since uh nuclear weapons were last used against a, a civilian population but it's it's a concern it's one of the reasons why for a decade i i chaired what's called the uh, the Board of Sponsors of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, which every year sets the doomsday clock, um, the purpose being to address, to to get humanity to recognize this existential risk, and it's a severe one. There are, of course, other emerging risks from technology. Um, there's, a, the, as, we, as we're seeing now with the pandemic, which may or may not have the origins in a, in, in a, in a, in a government research lab, we don't know, but it's certainly possible that um biotechnology can produce risks uh, that that impact on humans i'm again i don't see them as producing risks that are going to destroy human life but as you can see even a a pandemic with 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 something in some sense as mild as the coronavirus has already impacted uh globally the world economy in in a significant way and so uh biotechnological risks persist and some people think in the long run that that the risks of um of artificial intelligence uh, uh, impacting on the on the way our society works is is severe right now. And making the logical assumption that you're real and not a and, and not a creation of a computer program, but we've seen how how easy it is to affect images, produce false news, and um, and that kind of um, that kind of impact again can can be dramatic. And so we have to be. It's not as if these things should make us. Too afraid to get out of bed in the morning, but but uh, we have to recognize that that there they are real risks, and we need to be uh, to keep our eyes open and 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 be willing to address them in realistic ways.
0: You mentioned uh, risks connected with uh, the development of artificial intelligence. Do you agree with uh, experts such as Nick Bostrom or Eliezer Yudkowsky, who uh, claim that? someday we will uh, develop uh, a super-intelligent, artificial general intelligence that will overpower and outsmart humans and will rule the world and that this may even pose uh, an existential risk to us all.
1: Well, it's certainly a possibility. I'm not as, as concerned, again, an apocalyptic future that comes from that. We will look computers and artificial intelligence are already affecting us in ways that control us uh, in in many ways. I mean, the simplest example is very trivial. It's an elevator. You get in an elevator and you trust that the elevator is going to take you where it says it's going to take you. You have no control over the situation, but um, you assume that the that the uh, that the artificial intelligence, if you wish, in that elevator is going to work. And uh, so we as a society have already begun to, to give up certain, if you want, control uh, that, w- that we might have had before. Uh, but it hasn't destroyed civilization. Uh, th- things will change. Computers w- w- will become more intelligent. And maybe one day they will be self-aware and conscious. We don't even know what that is. But I'm not so sure that, it, once again, that that will produce an apocalyptic future. It will just change the future. We will adapt to that in new ways. I wrote something once, a, a, an example that maybe should give us some historical perspective. In, in, in uh, I guess, the sixth, fifth or sixth century B.C., Plato and, and others were very worried that the development of written language would destroy storytelling because people would no longer have memories to tell stories. They'd be able to rely on, on books, if you want. And they were they were certain that that new technology would destroy um, the, the storytelling, but of course it didn't. It just changed it dramatically, and in some many of us would think it would improve it. So we will. We it's a reality that, that computers are becoming more capable of dealing with problems. On the other hand, I think it's a long way. I think I think claims about an imminent singularity, an imminent superintelligence coming in 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 the near term are again overstated. Just as overstated as the idea that we're going to have a colony on Mars in the next decade. Uh computers there's, there's many things computers are good at. There are other things that they're not. Maybe they can drive cars very well at some point. But right now as far as I know, we don't have a robot that could even fold laundry very
0: effectively. Previously people used to say that a computer would never beat a human in chess or go. And look at uh, the current times.
1: Well, computers are very good at chess and Go, but that's very different than than um, than dealing with the many problems that that are involved with being human. They're, the things we do on, an, on 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 in every moment, the decisions we make, the actions we make, are are incredibly complex. And let me give you an example of how we still the, the way the human brain works is a mystery, still in many ways. I mean, obviously we've learned a lot, but let me give you a physics example. Right now, to take the kind of computing power and storage that is comparable to the human brain, if you, if you used a, a, a normal computer, would require a power of something like um, 10 terawatts, which is almost the amount of power that all of humanity uses. The human brain uses about 10 watts. That's a million, million times less energy to compute. And so there's clearly some massive different difference right now in the way we, we analyze information and the way computers do. And so there's a long way to go, I think, before we can imagine computers being able to, if you want, replace us in every way. There'll be many areas of human activity that computers could replace us in right now. I mean, for example, even in, in medical diagnostics, for example, computers are great at storing information and sifting through it. And so if there's a, uh, um, a medical problem presented, computers will be very good and potentially better than humans at, at diagnosing medical problems. So there'll be many areas of human... What I guess I'm more worried about than, a, than humans becoming enslaved in some tyranny like the Terminator or some other science fiction apocalyptic view. More, I'm more worried about the fact that we won't, we won't use computers effectively to help improve our society but instead of diminishing it. Computers are going to replace humans in many areas of the workforce and that's just going to happen. And it's an inevitable future that I see. Now we can imagine two possible futures. We can wa- imagine one where people are out of work and starving, or we could wa- imagine one where we where we use that and allow ourselves more free time. To, uh, where you know, we, we, we use the, res- the fact that humans can that computers can help us produce the resources necessary for humans to live and function effectively and we can spend time at coffee shops, listening to music, reading books and and so we can make our lives better and so we have a choice once again in how to use the technologies that are developing. One to allow all of the resources to be cornered by, by a few individuals or companies that control computer resources or distribute that vast wealth overall of humanity and allowing all of us to live actually lives that we might really wish to have where we can do the kind of things we want to do and let the computers do the things we don't want to do
0: yeah i think this scenario is appealing to most of us well since you are an astrophysicist uh, and a cosmologist let's uh, return to space uh, from earth i cannot uh avoid the question of ufos since uh, there has been recently much hype about uh, photos of ufos uh, in the 1950s supposedly visiting the earth revealed by the us government do you think that uh, uh, those were aliens and that aliens ever visited us or will visit us
1: uh, I, I wrote a piece saying whatever they are, they're not aliens. I think um, what, what's been revealed are not images of, of, of aliens visiting us. They're, 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 they're things that cannot be easily explained or the, the, or for which we have so little data that we can't identify the objects in the atmosphere. But I've written about this extensively. If, if you think about the challenges of interstellar space travel, they're so extreme. Are 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 visiting us. It would take almost the energy output of a star to power a ship to be able to travel at near the speed of light, which you'd have to do to travel across solar systems. And there's, you know, if your star light years away, it takes light years to get between solar systems, and you can imagine it would take centuries to travel between solar systems. The power output that's required is immense, and it, it's hard to imagine that some civilization would basically devote power that's comparable to all of the energy that all of humanity uses right now to send a spaceship here that would hide or do weird kinky experiments on people that that's very difficult to imagine plus giving evidence of our existence as a technological civilization for a century or so with our radio waves and sound waves and so what the motivation would be to, it, you know, it, it, it's hard to imagine any intelligent civilization that's less than maybe 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 light years away such a civilization at best would have just gotten the signal right now. it's hard to imagine that they would have amassed this thing, immediately this incredible project to come visit us it's hard it's and not, and not even that we are already listening for signs of of uh, other civilizations but it's very very difficult. the galaxy is a big place. I remember I have cable TV uh, and I once, once I got cable TV and there were 200 channels. I gave up watching TV to some extent because I could never find what I wanted. In the real universe, there are an infinite number of frequencies to listen to. And, and what signal to listen to, what frequency to listen to, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. So even learning about the existence of extraterrestrial civilizations, even if they exist, and we don't know if they do, is a challenge. And much less going actually to visit uh, it, it, the if if extraterrestrial civilizations uh, that are intelligent exist,
0: even if the aliens uh, have learned about us, uh, they live too far away to even have uh, uh, started preparing uh, for takeoff in our direction, or maybe they are on their way. Uh, in in the well,
1: just yeah, well, just think what we would do. Well no 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 Just look what would we do if we if we got a signal of an extraterrestrial civilization what would we do i think think about it if we got such a signal the first thing we'd spend a lot of time trying to figure out what we should do and probably the first thing we might try and do is communicate with such a we might first of all we might decide best not to communicate okay best to hide okay but and and that's a reasonable a, a reasonable response but if we did want to reach out we would probably first communicate by by the, all the ways we can normally communicate, rather than try and launch a mission that would might take centuries or millennia. That's beyond the resource capabilities of our civilization. It's the least it's the least likely way that we would communicate with aliens, and I think that the reverse is is true too.
0: The Earth is our home. Thanks, our home. Let's go to another one. It's a quote in Russian it rhymes. Uh, so <laughs> what do you think about this quote?
1: It's a really important point that people don't leave home easily. And I think the the, the notion that we're going to want to leave earth unless earth becomes uninhabitable, it's unlikely. People don't emigrate easily unless where they live is unbearable. We see refugees leaving home because they have no other choice. But most people like home, they like the comforts of home, they like what's familiar. Uh, most of us would rather make where we live a better place, and I think we can do that, and I think that is the highest priority.
0: Well, maybe in the worst case scenario, if uh, those problems that we discussed turn out to be worse than we expected, and the earth becomes a... a Worst place uh, to live uh, in. Maybe then we will uh, act more proactive. Yeah, well, maybe may,
1: maybe we. Yeah, maybe that may drive us into space, and, and, and that's absolutely true. We may be driven into space because the Earth may be so unbearable. But once again, just like people who have pioneered and gone out, the first pioneers who crossed the Atlantic and lived in in in, in North America did not have an easy life. If you think the Earth is going to be uncomfortable, it's not going to be anywhere near as uncomfortable as Mars. <laughs> Mars is not a pleasant place to live in, and, it w- and, and even though it might be livable, it's going to be a ch- It's If you want to think about a comparison, uh, Mars it, right now, of course, is unlivable unless you create an artificial environment locally. And so um, even it, it will take a long time before the Earth is as unlivable as Mars.
0: Uh, what do you think will be the next step in uh, this mm. industry? Maybe uh, tours to the
1: moon? I, I think the next step will be that, that um, a number of countries, including the United States and Russia and China and, and maybe India, but and other countries, will, will put human stations on, on the moon. I think that's going to happen in the next decade or so. And by human, I mean local stations can which have a few well-trained astronauts who live there and demonstrate that there can be a continuing presence on a moon base. That may happen in the next 10 or 20 years. But I think the notion that general people are gonna be traveling through space is is largely a fantasy. We've seen, sure, yes, in the last weeks, we've seen a few billionaires travel, but they haven't really gone into space. They've gone on these little little carnival rides of seven or eight minutes where they touch the edge of space and come down. And even that costs millions of dollars. But the logistics of sending even even a billionaire into orbit around the Earth is an incredibly expensive proposition and an incredibly dangerous one. And I, I, we've let me give you an example. The U.S. Space Shuttle was perhaps one of the most well-tested devices you could imagine. And it went on over a hundred missions. Oh, to space and back, 2% of the people that went up on that space shuttle died. If 2% of the people who flew on airplanes died, airplanes wouldn't be flying. And space is expensive and dangerous. So much as people rave about the idea of space tourism, it's a much more difficult proposition than most people suggest. And I think while it will happen to some extent, people are going to die and i hate to say it that way but the first people that do it, it, then you'll get the lawyers involved and the lawsuits and, and 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 it's going to so i don't see the era of space tourism to the moon as something that's likely to happen yes maybe maybe a few billionaires will 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 circle the moon maybe but the logistics of a of a moon mission are immense and the costs are immense many billions of dollars and i don't see the business model that that allows the kind of profit that would make private industry uh effective in that regard sure for going around the earth and maybe near earth travel, we've already seen spacex and other private companies are useful for that but for space exploration i think we're going to need governments and governments that are willing to spend tens of billions of dollars to do that so i don't see it 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 becoming anything more in the near term than government supported research and exploration.
0: But doesn't space travel get uh, cheaper and less risky with uh, every coming and passing year? Uh, for example, let's take uh, Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX uh, and its business model and its plans to launch. Uh, a huge spaceship to Mars with many people. I think uh, the projected costs per person uh, are estimated to be um, several hundred thousand dollars, if I'm not mistaken. So quite affordable for uh, not billionaires, but also millionaires and maybe well, middle class even.
1: You also heard that that rocket ship would be available years before it was. I think I think we have to take a lot of these claims with a grain of salt, yes, space travel is going to become cheaper, or it already is. SpaceX is sending th- sending things into space for less money than it used to cost. But there are certain physical limitations. There's certain physical requirements to get up to a speed of 11 kilometers per second to escape the Earth's atmosphere. And so, yes, I suspect it's not going to cost in the long term. It's not going to cost tens of billions of dollars to send things into, in, into space. It may cost only hundreds of millions of dollars, but it's not going to be or maybe only tens of millions of dollars, but it's not going to be like computers where computers have become cheaper and cheaper exponentially. The computer that I'm using to talk to you right now has more memory than than um, than the biggest computer. 30, 40 years ago uh, at at the university I worked at, I had the biggest hard drive on the university to do the scientific work i I would do it was a one gigabyte hard drive it cost twenty five thousand dollars now i can get a one gigabyte hard drive for one dollar it's amazing but that's technology that's at the cutting edge but i visited i i know elon musk and i visited his spacex factory and he's given me a tour and as he himself said to me it's not rocket science rockets are basic technology there's nothing ultra fancy about them. They're really basic fundamental technology and that technology um, has not changed a lot in the last uh, 50 or 60 years. Those fundamental aspects, those kind of costs are gonna go down by maybe a factor of two or maybe a factor of 10, but not a factor of a million. And, and therefore I think anything in the near term to imagine doing this in the near term is is science fiction yes maybe in the extremely long term there'll be enough uh, of an infrastructure developed so that so that we can imagine sending p- regular people into space easily but i don't see that happening in the in the coming decade and i certainly don't uh, even though i know elon musk i certainly don't expect he's really going to be sending people to mars i, I uh, uh in 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 my lifetime and likely his lifetime i I think that that's um a fantasy uh he doesn't think so and maybe i'm wrong we'll see
0: you said that you are agnostic about uh, uh, perspectives uh, in uh, some areas of uh, humankind development uh, but overall in general uh, are you optimistic about uh, our future
1: well once again it depends on the day i think in, in the end i am i think we we as we continue to explore the universe we are continuing to be surprised and every day i like to say i'm surprised if i'm not surprised so i'm always eager for the next new thing and 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 you've asked me throughout this program to make predictions and i must admit i don't like making predictions about the near-term future because because they always miss the most important things i don't mind predicting the future of the universe a trillion years from now, because I can do that and also even if I'm wrong, no one's going to be around to check my predictions. But if you look at science fiction, all those people who call themselves futurists, when someone calls themselves a futurist, I usually stop listening. Because we always miss the most important new developments because they're surprises. In the 1950s, when I used to listen, or 60s, when I used to watch science fiction, I'd see flying cars. I'd, today, I was, you know, if I, the, the world of the 20th century, 21st century, would be full of flying cars and people doing all these things that aren't happening. But no one, or very few people, talked about something like the internet, which has changed civilization more than anything else. We don't have flying cars, but I can talk to you, um, and and I can do things that that affect my daily life in ways that are much more profound than a flying car. So I suspect, I like to be optimistic because I think the future is full of surprises. And so I think the next big thing is something that I can't envisage and that you can't envisage. And I like to tell people, if I knew what the next big thing was, I'd be doing it right now.
0: Thank you so much, Lawrence. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Thanks for your insights. I hope that our future will be bright and we will uh, get over all the current crises existing on earth. and maybe someday we'll reach out to you. space. Thank you.